Hello Philorians! This is Catherine and today we're gonna look at episode 304, Be the Penny. Fucking magician. And magic comes from pain. Trying to tell you, you are not alone here. You love magic. Is it in your soul? Want me to come to Philorea with you? Send you epic quest. It's just a promise, motherfucker. All right, here we go. Hey! Hello. Oh, okay. And now I'm, I'm fangirling. Oh, no worries. <laughs> Please don't. I am just a, a very boring white lady. <laughs> I don't think so. Like, it's funny because a lot of articles, like, I went to read your articles that you've written about the magician, and most of them are, like, my favorite articles written about the show. Oh, great. Thank you. So uh, there was even like the, the latest that you wrote about like giving it a chance. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is a new way for the media to talk about it. And I dig it. But um, just know that this article healed me. I wanted to tell you because uh, I was I'm kind of tired of the narrative that is around the show. So yeah. it was nice to see it of the, hey, guys, why don't we give it a chance? <laughs> um. Yeah, like I, I really loved, I really loved the season four finale, which I gather a lot of fans hated, but I found it very meaningful. Um, yeah. And I don't know, that's that's fine if people don't like it, but um, the people have said some pretty nasty things about me for having given it a positive review. So. Well, I'm gonna start the show and, and present you. Uh, okay. I want to know your last name. Vanderwerf. Um, it's pronounced basically like it, like it looks in American uh, English, um, okay. and it's uh, yeah. It, if if you yeah, pronounce it, it's fine. But it's Vanderwerf. Yeah. Vanderwerf. Okay, it's just I, I'm a French speaker speaking English. I didn't want to butcher it more than you. <laughs> I'm sure it would sound great. <laughs> so um, I'm with Emily Vanderwerf, TV critic and awesome being extraordinaire. Hey, it's good to be here. Oh, I'm I'm doing just great. I have a, I have a little bit of a cold, so I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little a little hoarse. But yeah, I'm doing fine. It's uh, we're recording this on a holiday here in the U.S. and this is coming out months from now, so I don't know why I'm telling people that. But it's a holiday oh, here in the yeah. U.S. It's so funny because like we're gonna talk and we only see saw six episodes of The Magician, but by the time it's gonna air, the show will have like. The, the season will be done. <laughs> yeah, season five will be done. We'll know everything's going to happen. We'll know uh, if there's going to be a season six. Fingers crossed there's going to be a season six. Fingers crossed! Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of wild to, like... And, like, I'm a couple behind because I've been so busy. So I don't... I'm behind even you. But I'm definitely behind the version of me that's listening to this in May. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know how this is ending. <laughs> So you haven't seen like the double feature yet? No, no, no. I've uh, been uh, I've been traveling uh, and oh. I've been, yeah, have just been I've been swamped with this this podcast I make. So I'm I've been uh, behind on all television and even shows I love. Well, that's a kind of a good problem to have. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> Having a lot, being able to do a lot of things you love is great, uh, except when it keeps you from doing all the other things you love. So, uh, yes. that's why my podcast is about the magician. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I should I should have thought of that. I should have thought of that. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny because I was listening to what I, I was saying to you off mind that um, I was uh, listening to Spirit Podcast, uh, which inspired a bit of the show. And I like I talked to the, the girls on how to start my own podcast and they really helped me. Oh, great. And you, were, uh, you wrote a book about the Monster of the Week on X-Files. Yes. Uh, and it's kind of amazing because at the end of the episode, I wanted to buy the book and I never watched X-Files in my life. <laughs> well, I think that if you were going to start watching X-Files, it would be a good book to have alongside you. Um, I don't know how much you'd get out of it if you have no plans to start watching X-Files. But, I, you know, I think that Zach and I, Zach's my co-writer, uh, I mm -hmm. think we have some nice writing in there. Uh, especially if you're like a TV fan and love to yeah, think about how TV works. And I, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think The Magicians kind of comes out of a lineage that um, The X-Files is in, where The Magicians really has strong, uh, distinct episodes, while mm -hmm. also contributing to an overall plot. And I think, we're, uh, we're not quite there yet, but I think the episode we're going to talk about today, it has a very X-Files feel to me. Like, I could, f I could imagine this episode as like an X-Files episode. Though oh, yeah? it would probably resolve very differently. It would probably be like, <laughs> it was happening to Mulder. He had astrally projected himself and like nobody could like figure out how to save him. And then right before they were about to like, like, uh, like set his body on fire, he would like figure out a way back into his body and he'd be like, Scully, you won't believe what I've seen. And she'd be like, oh, Mulder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that, they were kind of going somewhere in, in, in the episode. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like you could, you could see the X Files version of Be the Penny, and I, I think I would probably enjoy it. <laughs> but that—that's what I, uh, like when I was listening to, to Spirit. Uh, you were comparing um, the magician with Monster of the Week with the problem of the week, the magical problem of the week. Mm -hmm. And I literally hit pause of the podcast and wrote you an email saying, "I want you on my podcast." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like. I love this show. I love any show where every week there's some different supernatural thing you got to deal with. Um, and this is my favorite show, sort of in that rough genre right now at this moment. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you listened to that episode. I love talking with those those women. Um, I love I love the spirits team. Yeah, they were my gateway to podcasts. To be honest, to okay. other podcasts and like stuff you miss in story class and like the. Um, officially produced ones yeah and i was like oh there's a world out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's like thousands upon thousands of them i don't know how anybody uh ever navigates that giant uh that giant slew of them but uh i just read great podcast critics so i guess that is probably how most people do it yep yep and uh word of mouth yeah word of mouth there you go <laughs> Um, so we're going to start to talk about Be The Penny, which is uh, one of the most loved uh, episodes of the show, as mm -hmm. per IMDb, like mm -hmm. the fourth one. Yeah. So you got a good one. <laughs> um, I wanted to know if you wanted to try to uh, do a 30-second recap. Yeah, I can try and do that. I'm really bad at brevity, so I'm go I'm probably going to go over. Um, but you know what? I could, really just, I could really just give you the uh, log line. Um, which is that uh, Penny is, is doing something. I watched this a few days ago and have already forgotten <laughs> some, some of the details. Penny is doing something traveling related, uh, leaving his body, and he uh, is unable to return to it, which leaves him effectively a ghost, but like his body um, his body's still there. So the episode is him, is in essence Penny as an unseen observer 
watching the entirety of a normal magician's episode and like offering commentary on it and he's joined together with a a similar person in a similar predicament who this happened to in the uh 1920s uh and that person has some sort of retrograde attitudes about um um gender and, and race and all of that uh, and it is a an interesting way for the show to do god i'm doing commentary already it's an interesting way for the show to do uh sort of a talking about fans of yes, kind of I show think I, I think that Iman is uh the fandom represented yeah. with a bit of like misogyny in it yeah, but... yeah yeah um and they uh through the course of the episode since i'm already over penny fails in getting back to his body uh and eventually his body is uh is is i believe cremated and uh something happens to it where he can't return to it and he is effectively now just a ghost and you're like how is penny going to stay on the show except for the fact that now he's just a ghost nobody can see or hear um and the title be the penny comes from uh he is attempting to manipulate a penny to show people that he is still there uh and he is only sort of able to do that yeah. i'm sh- i have left out tons of things that happen but that is like the oh, 30 well, seconds well, well, the, the main plot is there uh really what we have to add is uh elliot Fay and friend of uh, elliot Fenn and Frey are uh purchased by uh, our uh, met cannibals and try to flee them and by yeah. fleeing them come back to break bills yeah yeah this and, is true uh, Elliot would be the ones uh, seeing penny for the first time and not knowing it's a big deal just like hey penny yeah with a good ending of the episode like it end on the wait it's not even like finishing the sentence and we also have a uh, Margot who is in the Monjack uh, being mm-hmm. so mad about everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Munchak is like uh, the Munchak is one of those things that I loved in the books, and I really loved it in the show. But the show used it so differently yes. from how the books did, and I thought that was interesting and fun. Um, and uh, I, I really like I loved it as a setting, but I also love the fact that they rarely made it the main setting of an episode. They were sort of bouncing around the cosmos in a fun way. Yeah, you're right. They were never a full Monjack episode at all. No, no. There was like there were times when it took when it was a little bit more dominant. Um, I think there's one in a couple. It's either six or seven where uh, Quentin is sort of haunted by his double on on the yeah. jack um and that is one that has a little bit more of it in there but yeah it's uh it's never quite the center of an episode in the way it was in the books and that's sort of a an interesting uh examination of how this show approached adapting the books for television yeah i, I like how they take the book and make it their own without disrespecting the book yeah um, yeah there, you haven't seen it yet because you haven't seen episode six yet. But uh, they brought something from the, the the book that wasn't mentioned yet. And when it happened, I swear to God, everyone that wrote read the book like yelled on Tumblr and on on Twitter. <laughs> oh my God, they made it happen! <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I am. I, I was a big, one of the reasons I'm a fan of the show is I was a big fan of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one especially is mm-hmm. um, my favorite of the series, which I gather is an unusual opinion because it is sort of like um, a problematic book in some ways. There have their issues with the way that it presents certain issues and certain themes to some people. Um, but I, I'm somebody who likes 
when a story talks about those darker, more tragic things. Yeah. Um, and I will admit that sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a little too willing to forgive something that maybe is being irresponsible about it, but um, I really love, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I really love darker storytelling. Um, well, and, I found that problematic save. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can enjoy a media knowing it's problematic and still enjoying, but with the awareness of it. Yeah, and I, th I think that's, I think that's the way to go about it. Is you, yeah, you know something is problematic and you are aware of it and you can like dissect oh yeah i get why this is problematic i understand why this is not doesn't work for everyone and why some people are hurt by this but for me it's the kind of yeah. storytelling that i really engage with um and i think that that is uh you know without without having to say what i'm talking about i think people sort of know where the, the big dividing line is in in the magician's yeah. fandom around that question i saw it i saw it knowing what was going to happen and um because they sent out a press release that was like, uh, don't, or they sent out the, the finale to critics and they were like, don't spoil the, uh, the big, the big thing that happens in this episode. And we have a, we have an attached thing that says exactly what it is. And I always click on those. Cause I'm always like, yeah, whatever. I, it's not going to ruin my enjoyment of the episode, but I clicked on, of course it said, you know, the, the person who died. And I was like, Oh, Okay. This is a big deal because like they wanted to clarify for us that, yeah, we've had other characters sort of escape death before and that will not happen this time. Um, mm -hmm. And that was uh, that was a tricky like like knowing that going in, I think, made me appreciate the episode more. Um, and some, I think it is a sort of an argument in favor of spoilers being sometimes the way to go because I was prepared for it in a way that I think some yeah, viewers I think were not. Like that's why I, I I create a trigger list for the show that I put on my Tumblr every sure. episode I will update it because mm -hmm. I tr I truly believe that if you are warned of the trigger, you can watch anything or listen to almost anything. Like I have big trigger about uh, parents dying right now because my mom is sick, and I was listening to a daily podcast and my husband said, "Oh, by the way, this episode they talk about that." So I came in knowing. Yeah. I was not like triggered by it but more like okay i know this has happened i'm gonna like steady myself but i'm gonna still enjoy the show yeah absolutely that's uh yeah i i i, I totally i totally know what you mean by that like i mm -hmm. i have stuff that like i guess i'm i don't want to say i'm not that way like i i the way that i deal with the things that bother me in my life is I write about, I write stories about them. I, I like to consume stories about them. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like I am, um, you know, I, I have a lot of stuff around my adoption. I was adopted when I was two months old. Um, I have a lot of uh, trauma around that to use the modern parlance. And like, I love stories about people who have like adoptions that uh, are not great or haven't, haven't gone great because like, it's like a th it feels like a thing we're not talking about, you know, and yeah. I like to I like to consume fiction about that because it's like a safe way to like examine my own feelings on it. So in a weird way, like if you say uh, trigger warning adoption trauma, I'm like, yes, that is for me. And then the people it's not for can be like, no, that is not for me. And um, exactly. I think that's, uh, you know, I the people who don't like trigger warnings, I'm always like, well, you know, it, it, it's it has a purpose and it literally does not hurt you to have yeah, it exist. It's meant not to hurt without spoiling. Yeah, exactly. 
like uh, even for the, in my list uh, in the last episode of season finale of season four, I wrote major character death. Yeah. Like I'm not saying, oh, by the way, Quentin died. You know? Yeah, exactly. And like, um, yeah, like, and that's the thing on this show is like, if you say something like that, there's only two or three people it could be, you know? So, um, and it's also like, I don't know. Like I get, I, I, I run a, I run a fiction podcast uh, mm-hmm. And we uh, we do content warnings for basically anything we can think of that like we we do content warnings for loud noises because there are there are people in our our uh, listenership who are who are bugged by that and uh, like I I'm happy to to give them uh, that warning um, I'm happy to have people like uh, know that that's coming yeah. um, and I I do I do like. You know, I do, I am, I'm trying to think about a way to say this without sounding like I'm, I'm, I'm mocking people because I'm not. I am constantly surprised at the things that people find Me too. hard to take. Not because I think like they're wrong to do it, because like any one of us can be marked by some sort of event in our lives. But like, it just didn't occur to me. And like, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I'm like fascinated and excited by that. The different ways that human beings are set up. And the ways that we take care of each other to deal with the different ways that we're set up. Um, I, I, th- I honestly think that's a big theme of this TV show. Like all, yeah. of these, all of these people are messed up in certain ways and they take care of each other. Uh, and that's kind of beautiful. I think that's what, like people when they see my list, because I think there's four episodes without the trigger warning. Some is just like blood or like, not just, but like it's minor. Other is like animal cruelty, you know? Yeah. So, and people are like, oh my God, this show is big, but we've got to try to tell people, don't be like overwhelmed by the list. It's just, we make sure that we put as much as we can because this show tackles hard issue that is not talked a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it really does. And I, you know, I do the one thing that I still kind of like with, with uh, content warnings and that sort of thing that I still kind of, am like, well, I see the point of the critics while disagreeing with it is I do think like uh, fiction sometimes has to tackle these darker topics. I do not think trigger warnings exist to tell people not to tackle these darker topics. I think they exist to help the people who don't want to think about those topics at this point in time avoid or steal themselves for if they're going to be in reading or talking about a thing that, that has those darker topics. But I do sort of see, I do sort of see the argument about like, well, fiction has to tackle some tough stuff. Yeah, Correctly, that it does. That, that are against it, live the privileged yeah. life. I think people that are against it really don't understand what it's meant for. And I think they often are like, well, nothing. Yeah. I think it is a lot of folks who are like, it tends to be two kinds of folks. I don't want to denigrate anybody. Yeah. There are a lot of people in the middle here, but it tends to be people who, yes, have led a very privileged life and don't have to think about like how uh, I perhaps would perceive a story about adoption and how mm-hmm. that that can hit me in a certain way. But I then I also think it is people who have a lot of pain in their past, and like it's very hard for them to watch any fiction without like being reminded yeah. of that pain. So they have like made themselves tough against that they've given themselves mm-hmm. thicker skin and so they just assume everybody else should be able to do that it's it's yeah. just it, you know not understanding trigger warnings is often just uh a sign of how little you attempt to understand other people 
And um, I think that that is, uh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, especially uh, like for a show that like we have, the thing is people don't understand what the trigger is. Yeah. Yeah, people <laughs> really don't understand the way that some folks react just horribly to like having no, it's a not thing. Being offended about something. It's yeah, like- yeah. It's, it's never just like, okay. It's never just like, okay, I, if you have a story about um, an adoption that ends wonderfully for everybody involved and um, uh, I see that and it, it, it like causes me pain to think about the things that that story misses. Cause I don't want to say that my adoption was a bad mm-hmm. thing. Like my parents were good parents, blah, blah, blah. But there, there is a lot of like, 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 like unresolved pain around just the circumstances of my life. And like a story that makes that, that, that doesn't show that pain sometimes hits me in the wrong way. And like, mm-hmm. I don't have significant enough trauma where it like makes me unable to function, but I, mm-hmm. it's made me, it's made it capable for me to imagine that being the case, somebody having that kind of trauma, somebody being unable to function after seeing a story, especially when it's something so much more direct and visceral and violent um, as it often can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to talk about the trauma, let's talk about loneliness. Yeah. This episode, and my God, did I pick a, a good thing? Because basically, I really do them at random. Yeah. Yeah. And I did this one, I was like, oh, that's a good one for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It is what I what I love about it is yes, it is it is an episode that is forthrightly and actually about loneliness. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it is it is tapping into his his role on the show to this point, which is always to kind of be this brash outsider who wants to be badly wants to be an insider and would never admit that to himself. And like, Mm. does it is, is, is the tragedy of him is he's too short sighted to see the ways in which he has found a group of friends, has found people who love him, has found people who care about him. And the tragedy of this episode is he kind of realizes that only once it's too late. When he dies. Yeah. That old, uh, that old trope of uh, being able to attend your own funeral and see what people say about oh, this you. is such this trope. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and like it reminds me of um, I think it yeah, it's Tom Sawyer where Tom and Huck come back. Uh, they they've been presumed dead and they return and attend their own funeral and like, mm-hmm. and of course Mark Twain makes the joke that everyone is totally misrepresenting these boys who were kind of reprobates and miscreants uh, and it's just like being oh boy they're so wonderful i have not read this book in like 30 not 30 years i've not read this book in in 25 years so you know don't correct me if i'm wrong um you know not even that i haven't read it in a long time but that's my memory of it as they come back and and well that that, that makes me think of the moment when uh everyone is having like this uh, they have a for penny and he's so pissed that nobody cries for him and yeah. he appreciate me, but I think he doesn't understand that their sadness or their shock of being unable to process that he's dead. Like Quentin literally laughs. Yeah. When he learned, like, is there them caring and showing love is just not the one he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it, it is like 
you can't police people's feelings around you. You can't police people's reactions to you. But at the same time, it's the most human thing to try to do that. It's so human to be like, oh, come on, just cry for me. I'm great. And uh, yeah, it, it is. Uh, well, it's so tricky. When, that when Benedict like start to cry, he's like, yeah, finally. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, Benedict's like, he was my best friend. And Benny's like, all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that, like, I think about this all the time, um, wanting to know how people perceive me. And, like, obviously you can't know that. But if you did know that, like, it would be horrible. It would be horrible to know what people thought about you. And Penny gets this kind of, like, weird window, window into, yes, people seeing how people think about him. So. Mm-hmm. And I'll, like, okay, I have this, this relationship with someone and the, the other person, in the other hand, have a really different relationship with me. Yes, it is. Um, I, I, uh, I, I came out as a, a trans woman. Mm-hmm. When this episode comes out, it will have been about a year ago. Um, and uh, uh, I, in the process of doing that, have reconnected with a lot of people who knew me before when I was still living the life of a quote-unquote man. Um, and they often say, they often tell me how little, how unapproachable they found me in different ways. Like, like how they found, like, they felt like they couldn't really talk to me. They couldn't really connect to me. And like, I felt like I was being very gregarious and very open. And like, I was not like people could read into me that something was deeply not mm-hmm. great. Um, I was I was doing an experiment last night because I read the I read the credits on my fiction podcast, and uh, last night I went back and listened to the season one credits, which I recorded before I came out even to myself, and wow. yeah, I sound so distant in them, and I never noticed that before. Like I sounded just so disconnected and far away, and and it's it's like yeah, it, it, it's fascinating to me the degree to which. The degree to which people perceive things about ourselves that maybe we ourselves do not perceive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why also, uh, like Katie, despite Penny having opening his heart, she say, I, I don't know him. Yeah. Yeah. She, there's a piece of him that he keeps hidden away, that he keeps locked away. And like, mm-hmm. uh, when I saw this episode probably I wasn't out to myself just yet. I related so hard to what was up with Penny. Um, Julia has mm-hmm. always been my favorite character on this show, but, but this episode really put me in Penny's shoes in like a, a, a an intense way that I, I think I, I really identified with. Um, Cause yeah, this aired right on the cusp of me coming out to myself. And I just, I just felt so tapped into the way that people, he felt like he felt like people didn't connect with him. Um, yeah, and I think wouldn't yeah, listen. I think there's an intentionality to that. I think that Penny mm-hmm. deliberately puts up a facade of toughness, of oh, of yeah. of you know unapproachableness. I think that he is deliberately making that choice. Where I was not making that choice at all, but it was it was happening anyway because of who how I was set up. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that like like I've always. I've always felt like Penny is one of the show's best characters and also one of the characters the show sometimes struggles to do things with. 
And I was so grateful that he got this, this showcase episode. It's weird because Penny and Katie are two characters the show doesn't always know what to do with. And it kind of threw them into a romance and yet it worked. Like that is the thing that, that TV shows do when they're like, we don't know what to do with these actors. So we're going to see if they have chemistry. Um, And on this show it worked, you know? Especially that Katie was supposed to be killed the first episode, but it just loved way too much. So they yeah. put her around and it shows. And like I think season three, she started to be her own character. But for that, they had to remove Penny. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, um, and I, I like the way that they figured out a way to keep Penny in the show. Like, it is not a spoiler to say that he continues to be a part of the show. Uh, and Ar- Arjun Gupta. Uh, who's a fantastic actor, like is playing different versions of Penny now, and it's it's a lot of fun because you can always tell who's who. Yeah, you can see like the, the difference yeah. in his body language and how he talks. Yeah, absolutely. Like twenty three is so different than forty, and I never notice how much until I rewatch this episode. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and... Um, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I I was I I, I was just saying and as a filler. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a there's this this part in the, um with Penny where um he followed the bunny who uh to tell Margot and that um, Penny died and he's like where they go to got that sweet boat man missing all the cool shit but like dude you were dying of course you were missing all the cool shit <laughs> yeah like like it's so wild <laughs> to me uh, I think it's wild to me like the idea that Penny can follow the rabbits like. It's so wild to me the way that this show sort of comes up with new rules on the fly, and you're like, "Oh yeah, of course mm-hmm. that's right. That's just that's just how it is." Yes, perfect. Like sometimes it bites them. In the, sometimes it bites them in the butt. They sometimes have have times when they're like, "And this has always been true," and you're like, "I don't know about that." And I do think a lot a lot of the issue with season four was often they were changing the rules so quickly that you couldn't quite follow. But when they do it well, it's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think the bunny were the their first big twist of like, oh yeah, by the way, you didn't talk between worlds. Like, with what? Yeah. Like, that wasn't that for two seasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that like isolated Elliot to a point where like, you got a kid with Finn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think um, when we talk about loneliness, um, as a theme of this episode, it's really about like, I don't want to say that loneliness is a choice because it's not, it's not at all, but it really is about the ways that we can exacerbate our own loneliness. You know, the ways that when we are, when we are stuck in a space where we feel lonely and everyone feels lonely, I, I feel, I feel lonely all the time. And I have so many great friends and so many great people around me, but loneliness is often, this internal thing that is driven by a part of our brains that insists that nobody actually cares for us. Nobody actually understands us. And that's a lie. You know, that's, that's, that's a lie. That's a, that's a trick. Some part of our brain is playing on us, but that doesn't make it not real. You know, you can tell yourself, my brain is lying to me all you want but it doesn't negate the effect of there is a thing inside your head that is constantly saying you are not worth this. You are, you are not, you are not someone people enjoy being around. And one of the reasons I love this show is it captures that feeling in so Mm -hmm. many different ways. And I just, I, I love, 
the ways that it talks about being trapped inside yourself. And the irony of this episode is that Penny finally gets outside himself and realizes how trapped he was and is now trapped. Yeah. And I like this idea of like him, maybe that like this idea of like, oh, I'm not worth loving or whatever was, and people not crying. Like maybe that's why he got so angry. Yeah. Yeah. Don't prove me right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also like, he is, you know, if they had done the more conventional resolution to this episode, which would have been he figured out a way back into his body and he, he communicated with everybody and everything was fine, how quickly would he have forgotten what he learned? You know? There is this idea, I think in most human cultures, I'm not going to say all because I don't know all human cultures, but in most human cultures, there is this idea that after you die, one of two things happens. You either become super focused on the thing in your life that went wrong and you just keep like the unfinished business ghost, you know, sort of that idea. And the other idea is you suddenly gain just this transcendent knowledge of all of your limitations and all of the ways you held yourself back. But having that knowledge no longer makes you human. So you have to leave this plane of reality and travel to some other one. And like, um, or, or in, you know, some religions, of course you, you stay on this plane of reality, but are reborn to try to apply those lessons to a new life subconsciously on some level. And like, those are the two kind of the two ways we think about death is like, you either become so obsessed with life that you try to cling to it, or you so transcend life that you can no longer live it. And like, I love that this episode kind of has it both ways. Yeah. And I think the, the show have both tropes because we see that uh, real ghosts that are stuck in a time loop of dying over and over and over again. Yeah. And we see that with Lance and Callister, but also with, um, you said like they know everything and they become like um, fully aware of everything. Alice becoming a Niffin was that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's just, that's like a thing that I love that this show does is it, it brings people right up to the edge of fundamental change. Mm-hmm. In, in in actual supernatural terms, like uh, my an example of this is Julia perhaps becoming a goddess, you know, which mm. is a theme that this season really plays with, and she never quite can because she's held back by her humanity. But in this case, being held back by her humanity is a good thing. Like yeah. she, like her unwillingness to give up on what's human about her is what dooms her ability to ascend to being a goddess. Which, personally, as a Julia fan, I'm like, she's the one who would really, like, take care of everything. She'd be great. Uh, she'd be... Yeah, I think it's just the way that gods see themselves as cute. It's not yeah, yeah, yeah. as well as the gods call Yeah, like, that, that's, that's the point of the show, is that when you live that long, then you just fundamentally cease to think of yourself as human. And, like, which yeah. I think is probably true. Um, not that we have, like, not that we have, like, a way to A-B test this in reality. Um, but... <laughs> But yeah, and and I think that uh, this is a show that talks about the ways that how we are human helps us Mm -hmm. push back against the ways in which we aren't human. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that's literally true on this show in terms of supernatural creatures and being changed into something else. But it's Mm -hmm. also kind of metaphorically true in terms of our darkness doesn't have to be who we are. Yeah, and it's something that uh, Julia struggled the whole season two. Yeah. And, uh, Alice is struggling during season three. Is like, what I did was wrong, but does that make me a, a bad person? Um, in the end, it's like, 
the fear of what you are can make you yeah. going too fast. And I think Alice and Julia are the prime example of that. Yeah. Um, if we uh, if we continue on loneliness and Penny, uh, the idea also that like you see people having to make a decision for about you and not being able to say what you want must be, must, you must feel so lonely in this moment of like I know what I want but I cannot communicate communicate it yeah and I think this idea like how you were saying um, earlier that. In your head, you were so open about things, but people were like, were like, no, I, I feel something you're not telling me. Yeah. The same, the same thing is like, you wa- you wanted to say something about yourself you didn't know. Uh huh. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. It, um, it's, yeah. It's it's fu- it's funny because people would be like, I thought you didn't like me, and I would be like, Oh no, I really like. I thought you were great. I thought you were terrific. And now I'm kind of overcorrected. Where like, if I think I've made a friend. Um, I, I'm living with anxiety right now about like I emailed somebody I met just recently and was like, hey, we should hang out. And I'm like, wait, I shouldn't have done that. That was like going too far. But uh, I, like, I'm sure they're not going to see it that way, you know? Um, so like I, I've kind of overcorrected since coming out because I'm like, oh, people saw me this way before. Now they cannot see me that way ever again. My, my husband is a trans man and uh, he... Oh. It, it happened the same the same way the moment he transitioned, he became this like over friendly people with thousands of, of friends and, like meet someone in the metro and suddenly it's our best friend, you know? Yeah. And uh-huh. you made me notice as he transition that this happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is it is it is a it is kind of a thing that happens with uh, not all not obviously not all trans people, but a lot of us are like, Oh, hello, I'm living my life now and uh, let's all be friends. Hi, you can see me for who I am. Hey, Hi, yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about Alice a bit and um, okay. how she is lonely in her grief in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, Alice's, Alice's journey in these first few episodes of season three, while necessary, I, 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 you know, I don't want to say I feel frustrated with it because I think it's a thing she has to do, but it's hard to watch somebody who's lost something and wants to get back to it. And yet at the same time, I'm an audience member. I know they're not going to let Olivia Taylor Dudley, like leave her contract. I know she's going to, at least in season three, that was before they started like letting people leave their contracts. Like, I know she's going to be on the show for the rest of time. I've covered this show. I've interviewed her. I know how much she loves being on this show. Like, yeah, I, I'm not going to, uh, I, I, it's so that is, that's one of the struggles that I think a lot of these shows go through is, Oh, we have this wonderful actor we want to keep around, but we want to do a big story with them uh, that will give them big, rich emotional territory to mine. But then, oh, they're also just, you know, nothing significant is going to change. So, um, yeah, I, I, fr- I get frustrated with this story, but I think it's beautifully expressed. I think there was a, a tendency to not always have uh, the strongest material for Alice, especially in the early going of the show, she was kind of mm-hmm. Quentin's love interest. And this yep. storyline, even as I felt frustrated with it at the time, now I recognize it was giving her some deeper, more human stuff to deal with. Yeah, I think that's what I've discovered by doing this podcast, is there's Alice pre-Niffin and Alice post-Niffin. Uh-huh. Pre-Niffin, she was Quentin's love interest and this, like, perfect, she had to be perfect and good and and now she's like, who am I? And I live with trauma and 
now my trauma, I'm going to express it instead of like keeping them inside and be mean to my mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like having this trauma that nobody will ever understand because who can say, oh yeah, I'm brought back from the dead and now I am in my own body and I don't feel like myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a trauma people can relate. So I can understand how like lonely and angry it makes her. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, she said to Quentin, like, uh, oh, you, uh, you, you, don't, you, you realize who you care about, that you care about someone until they're gone. She's talking about her dad. But the yeah. look Quentin gives her of, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> yeah. I know. Like, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like, oh, it's so easy to get wrapped up in your own stuff and not see that other people are hurting. And that becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. And like, oh, I do it all the time. And I try to be sensitive to that because I deal, I've dealt with so much stuff in my life with, with transness, with, with adoption trauma, with um, being raised in a church that, that made me feel terrible about myself, that kind of thing. But like, I and like, I know, I know that my wife struggles with, with depression. And yet there are so many times when I'm just like, oh my God, get over it. And like, I don't yeah. say I don't say that because I like to preserve the state of my marriage. <laughs> but yeah, she's uh, it is a thing that is always there in the back of my head, and the struggle of life is to not give in to that thing in the back of your head and to approach somebody with openness and kindness. And the magicians is about a whole bunch of things, but I think it's about that. Oh yeah, I truly believe that the magician is about learning how to be kind. Yeah, it's about um, learning how to be kind. It's about learning how to be better. It is it is a show about people in their 20s because the, our 20s are when we kind of learn to stop being self-centered. Um, if you don't mind me going on a tangent about the books, I'd love to. Go ahead. One of the things that I love about the books is the first book is all Quentin, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is – he's a young man. He's an angry young man. And a lot of people hate the book for that reason. That's one of the reasons I love the book. Is it, it's 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 that it's stuck in this angry point of view and like you totally like get why this person is the way he is but also how he doesn't see outside of himself yeah um book two splits between quentin and julia which is so such a smart way to do that because julia is quentin's one of his oldest friends so inevitably Mm -hmm. he's going to be able to see things from her point of view but Uh also also, she's a woman, so she's had a different experience of the world, and so now he's like getting a sense of how his privilege has insulated him from certain things. And and a lot a lot of the criticism around that book is is about the resolution of Julia's arc. And yet, mm-hmm. I think it is a pretty dramatic way to underline to Quentin the ways that his privilege has insulated him. So like. I understand the issues with it, and I think they're valid issues. But at the same time, I think in terms of giving both of those characters a sign of who they are, yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting um, way to do that. And then book three is just like everybody's point of view. I think it perfectly captures the way that as you move through young adulthood into just plain old adulthood, you get better at seeing other people's point of view. Ideally, you do. We have so many examples of that not happening, but... Let's pretend it happens with most people instead of just like, you know, 25%. Yeah. 
No, I, and I agree, and I think that's what's a bit happening in the show as well. We we see them grow up from uh-huh. like Quentin. The do the the Quentin in Break Bills is not the Quentin Quentin of season four. Yeah, yeah. And we need to all those experiences for him to be there. Yeah, and you got you just think about like you think about the ways that the show changed him and f- and found him across the course of that series and like. Yes, I'm sure that if he had stuck with the show, they would have continued to change and find interesting things about him. But to me, his character arc resolving the way it does is still meaningful because of how much he's changed, how much he's grown, how much, how much when he asks that question in the afterlife of did I do this because whatever, uh, because I, I've, I've had suicidal thoughts my whole life. It's an ambiguous question and an ambiguous answer, but the fact that you can see an answer where he did it out of like self-sacrifice and the, the, the pureness of his heart is an indication of how far he's come. I think that's yeah, a thing that... He's able to ask the question. Yeah, himself. that he's able to have the question is a sign of how far mm-hmm. he's come. And I think, I think that we think about change in stories all wrong. I think we think about... It being, I start as one thing, I become another thing. So uh, let me mm-hmm. put this in terms of transness. I ostensibly started as a man and have become a woman. That's not true, and that's like that's like no. a, not a way to put it. But that is how the story is framed all the time in in Hollywood. And and I, I now part of the part of the way I, I talk about this is I've always been a woman. Understanding that I've always been a woman has helped me contextualize a lot of my life. But at the same time, now that I am living a life where I am I'm going out into the world as a woman and being perceived as a woman and people are accepting me as a woman, it doesn't mean that a lot of the stuff that I learned as a man doesn't still exist in my head. It doesn't still inform what I do. I have fundamentally mm-hmm. changed my very self on a level most people can't even imagine. And yet all of the pieces of myself that were there are still there and I still have to deal with them. I still have to grapple with them. I still have to work with them. My gender dysphoria, the thing that makes me feel like I'm not actually who I am, still comes back from time to time. And mm-hmm. like, it's lar- like it's largely gone, but occasionally I'll just get, you know, I'll just look at myself in a mirror. I'm never going to listen to this podcast because I hate listening to my voice because I think I sound like a guy. And I, I, it, no matter how many times people tell me, oh, no, you sound – you have a lovely voice, uh, feminine speaking voice. I'm like, no, I don't. No, thank you. Um, you know, like that. that is just the, – the weight of life is you change and yet you think you're the person you were before you changed. And that's Quentin's whole story. And I think that I, that's why it works for me. I get why it doesn't work for other people. But that moment mm-hmm. where he asks, why did I do this? That works for me because he's afraid he hasn't changed. <clears throat> but Penny, Penny, who has transcended life and mm-hmm. can see, as we're setting up in this episode, and can see all the ways that people change, can assure Quentin, you have changed. Which is all any of us wants to know. And yet, even when you do something as fundamental as change, change, big air quotes around change, change your gender, you never know if you've actually changed. Yeah, and I think, like, we we can see it even in season three, because this is post, before the mosaic, where, like, you literally lived another life, which, let's talk about change there. Because um, yeah. uh, Quentin and Elliot come back from their change, and they are more interesting, from my opinion. 
but right now Quentin just has lived the life he has and yeah. like when Alice has news about his dad he want to be excited about like oh the cancer is gone because magic is gone but it also no to restrain of like Alice just lost her dad so I should not be happy Quentin yeah. season one would have yes exactly I think he would have not had the 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 understanding that it might be insensitive to be happy about your dad right now. Yeah. 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 It's so, it's, it's such a, it's such a, such a, such a tricky. Um, yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. I was going to add something and I don't, I, I just agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to talk a bit about um, Katie isolating herself. Okay. And this idea, like forcing how um, loneliness is not a choice, but some, but being lonely can be, like yeah. putting yourself in a, in, a, in a situation where you're gonna be lonely. And she was like, the moment Penny dies, she rejects Julia. Then, uh, like, she, like even the silence they have during thinking of Penny, like she, she storm off in anger because like anger is something that Katie know and it's like familiar, so it's safer for her to be angry than to be sad. Yeah. And then she go to do um, a run, which we know is, is her vice. And the thing that I wasn't sure is, did she overdose on purpose? Oh boy. Um, yeah, because that's the like it's the first time I saw her self isolating herself and putting herself in the state of loneliness. That I just lost my boyfriend and I tried my best, and it didn't yeah. work. Her making drug was it? Did she try to go back to Penny? Yeah, boy, I, I, oh, that, that's, that's, uh, I think, yeah, I think there is some element of she's trying to get to where he is. Um, I can't, I, 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 when you were talking earlier about loneliness kind of being a choice, I was like, yeah, um, I think that there are times when it's a valid choice. Like I remember, oh, yeah. I remember growing up in, the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. And there would be times I would just not want to be around people. So I would just go out into the middle of nowhere and just kind of be alone and be lonely and feel that, feel that disconnectedness in a way that was really centering. Mm -hmm. But there is a way in which choosing to be lonely can lead to darker spaces. And I think we see that. I think we see that with Katie in this episode. Um, Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big, bold decision she makes. And I think, I, I think it's the wrong one, but it's easy for me to say that. Yeah. But also like knowing that she, she's battling addiction. Yeah. Like I never battled addiction and I get it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Poor Katie. She deserves a hug. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, of course we cannot not talk about Hyman. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's like this my character. Is one of my favorite character of the the show, and I don't know why. <laughs> he is he is like genuinely the thing that t- tilted this episode over from. I was already loving it because do you know Buffy? Do you know Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I never watched it, but my friend was were obsessed with it, so I know all about it. Ah. So this episode is based. This episode is a riff on an episode that show did called The Zeppo which is okay. a, an episode told all from the point of view of Xander as he goes on this adventure while his friends are in the background having a very typical Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. 
this is the Zeppo, but like mashed up alongside that typical um, Magicians episode. Uh, so you have the two happening at once, which is the typical Magicians episode is happening and Penny is also like commenting on it. And the thing that tilted me over from being like, oh, this is this is a fantastic Zeppo riff too. Oh, this is like maybe the best episode the Magicians has ever done. I think it has since topped it, but at the time I was like, this is their best, uh, was that character Pyman who's like, who also is adding this element of commenting on the show and talking about the relationships between the characters. And he is a fan insert character, but done in such a clever way that I don't resent there being a fan insert character. Because usually when there's a fan insert character, it's kind of bitter and mean. And this is just cheeky and fun. And what's scary, it was a bit like the... I don't watch Supernatural, but I know everything about it because I'm on Tumblr. And uh, the episode where uh, there's like a, a fandom of the boys in the in the episode, like there's a convention of Supernatural in the Supernatural show. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, this, like that part was more like mocking. I'm going to put that in quote. Yeah. The fan, Ayman is like, I think Ayman is the representation of Twitter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is so right, but something goes so wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, he's been there since the twenty. Talk about loneliness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, like at the same time, for as fun and cheeky as this character is, it's just so. There's such a, like, if I think about it too much, I'm just like, oh, God, how bad must that be? Like, yeah. all he's doing is essentially watching the same people, whoever lives in that house. Yeah. Ugh. And, uh, but it's funny because he tried to connect with Penny and say, like, oh, you know, uh, when we're traveler, we, we travel where we want to the bathroom of their girls. You know how it is. And Penny's like, no, no. Like, don't try it. No, like, we're not all like that. But he, I think he was so in need of connection that he went that far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, dude. Yeah. Stop watching. You have taking a bath. It's not important for the story. <laughs> yeah. It's... But my, my question is, was he murdered? Oh, yeah. I think he was. I think. Because, like, he said this is a prank, but technically his body died. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, like, this is another one of those times when they establish a rule that's just like, oh, a thing can happen to your body while you're traveling, and then you, you can't get back to it. And that makes total sense. It follows from everything we've known before. But at the same time, they're kind of making up the rules for how this works in this episode as they go, and I think I think it works really well. Yeah. And also, I like that he was there before Rupert Chat when so technically he saw... He was there when, like, the murder happened. Yeah. And yet, he's scared of that part. Like, he even said, like, I don't want to go there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think, yeah, I find, because, like, he said, like, oh, well, um, what is it? Like, ghosts can touch them and, and see them. And then he was like, yes, it's a way for me to connect to other. And Ayman was like, <laughs> nope, I'm not going there. And I think yeah. at this point, I mean, kind of might love his loneliness because he couldn't go there and talk with Lance. Yeah. But instead, like, he's just shipping Julia and Quentin. Yeah, exactly. I was kind and here's here's an embarrassing thing. I was kind of a Quentin and Julia shipper. I, I'm a Quentin and Julia shipper. Don't worry. 
Well, no, like I, I don't know. Like I identify so strongly with Julia. She was a big part of me coming out as a as a woman. Um, just like how much I identified with her. And now I'm like, wait, did I want? Do I want to sleep with Quentin? I I, I don't think so, but maybe. <laughs> as a BFF, he is a very handsome boy. I will say. That's the beauty. We have this show, like, there's no shipping war. Yeah. Because everyone can sleep with everyone and everyone's happy. Yes. Yes. I'm reminded of the the old uh, sitcom community, which I covered for many years at at the AV Club. And one of the things that show held true was anybody in this group can sleep with anybody else. And it didn't really hold up well. Like, they didn't actually do that. But I loved that as sort of this egalitarian concept of sexuality and like uh, the magicians actually kind of does it. Yeah. And which is funny when um, um say uh, Quentin is a white cis hetero male. I wanted to die. Like Quentin is so not hetero. Yeah. Have you seen pinning about like Elliot? We don't have the same experience, Hyman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what else did I have? Oh yeah, uh, just that um, Rupert and Lance might have felt lonely to be doing the twenties. Yes, yes, yeah. The, the 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 and there's something about the the twenties as like when this episode aired almost a hundred years ago, but not quite. And like the, just kind of that image of oh god, like this has been going on a long time, and like. There is, I there is something to that. The the miss the mythology. I would bet if we talk to Lev Grossman about this, uh, mm-hmm. he would um, he would have thoughts on it because he he loves that kind of nineteen twenties nineteen thirties between the oh, wars yeah. between the wars fiction. So I would not be surprised if some of that is an homage to him. I mean, that's where there is the most trauma and the most try to heal. I think in their world, yeah. Um, but also, like we see after that, that Lance is killed because um, he has the key to talk about the fairies, want to expose the fairies. But like the way that the 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 dialogue is made, you can replace fairies by you being gay, and it's yeah. the same thing. I don't want you to expose it; it will ruin our family. Uh, and basically, he's killed for that. And we always complain yeah. about the killing gay trope. But in this um, instance, that's what happened in the 20s. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, uh, it's, I think it's a way to like show the killer gay trope without saying he died because he was gay, but he was. Yeah. I thought everyone should be worried more about fuck alcoholism. That's just a... That has nothing yeah. to do with anything, but I'm worried about him, and he deserves a hug. Yeah. <laughs> yes, everyone on this show needs a hug very badly. And therapy. And therapy. But maybe the, so the hug first, and then just like the walk them down to a, a good and caring, caring therapist who will. What they need is like a couples therapist, but for like 10 people. Just like 10, 10 people walk into a couple therapists at once, and the therapist is like, okay, yeah, you, have some, you have pretty messed up relationships. Yeah. And then, like, Fen is like, <laughs> I grew up in a magical country. And, like, you're like, okay, we're just going to roll oh, with this. I'm, I'm, I'm known to be the Fen, uh, the Fen obsessed fan in the fandom. <laughs> oh, I love Fen. I'm not, I would never say anything bad about Fen, but yeah. <laughs> she is underutilized. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she, I mean, here's the thing. This show has such a great ensemble full of so many great characters that they all mm-hmm. become kind of underutilized. Like Julia is one of the leads of the show. And I frequently feel like she doesn't get enough to do. It's just like, that's how good this show is and how many great characters it has. Yeah. Like why did we cast so much good actor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're at the point of the episode now where we're going to go over to Divina. I don't know if you are um, in the knowledge of it. It's uh, it's taken from Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Yeah. And it is a, um, a, practice, a spiritual practice that they adapted to read a text in a spiritual way to how can we see and grow from the text. And okay. we decided to start to do that with the script of the magician because I do believe that if the characters are growing, the fans are growing with the show as well. And we want to see how can they make us grow even more. So yeah. uh, there's four steps. The first step is where I'm going to uh, get a sentence and read, read it, and we're going to see what literally happened. Okay. The second one is the allegory. It's what story it makes us think of. Okay. The third step is what it reminds us in our life. Okay. And the fourth step is what I feel called for in my life. Okay. So the sentence is, but I never found my body. Okay. But I never found my body. So first step, uh, what literally is happening in the episode? Do you remember? Um, I, I don't remember quite who's saying this because there are two characters that could be saying it. I have a good guess That's as to right. which one, but but please uh, please inform me. It's Iman explaining uh, basically that people pranked him and he never found back his body, so he died. Yeah, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's when you say, but I never found my body. Okay. Uh, yeah. Allegory, what does it remind you of? A story. I mean, there are so many ways you could talk about this. Like, uh, like there are so many, so many ways that we feel as though we are disconnected from our own bodies, that we are cut off from them, even when we live inside them. Um, there are obvious ways I could talk about this, but I'm going to save that for the next section. I think allegorically, though, just like we think of our bodies as it's so easy for us in Western culture to think of our bodies as vessels that contain our souls and as separate mm-hmm. things. And yet, like they are vital, they are vital parts of us. The, um, the container that holds the container that holds water, the water has no shape if it doesn't have its container. And I think that that is, uh, I think that that is a way that that, that this this show talks about the the soul and the body. That is so good. <laughs> uh, for me, it reminds me of Harry Potter, where when Harry asks Dumbledore uh, when he died, and he talks to Dumbledore, mm-hmm. uh, was this real, and or it was in my head? And Dumbledore say, "Of course, it was in, in your head, but why do you think it will not be real?" Yeah. This yeah. moment that it would be in your head and yet be real. Yeah. So the third step, what does it remind you in your life? I mean, I spent most of my life feeling like I didn't know where my body was. And then suddenly I found it and it was mm-hmm. profound and beautiful and, and life-changing. And yet it, it caused some of my relationships with people I cared about very much to fray and, and break. Um, and, that was hard and it was, it was, it was dark and and strange. And yet I would not, I'm so glad I found my way back to my body. I would not change Mm -hmm. that for anything. And as my body has changed and 
and developed and, and grown in the process of taking hormones and, and, and doing other things to sort of reflect who I really am. Like it has been one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. And I would, I, I, I would wish everyone the chance to feel that connected to their self. The, the great trans guy writer, Daniel Lavery says, uh, he jokingly says that coming out as trans was uh, admitting that he had a body. And there's so much truth in that. Like to come oh, out as trans that. is to be like, oh, I am also the container that gives me shape. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a beautiful quote. Wow. Um, for me, it reminds me that my truth or my reality might not be others. That is mm-hmm. something that I've been trying to um, understand a lot with the magician fandom. Yeah. I've been one of the first boys of being of saying I want to continue to watch the show and I still love the show even if I don't agree with everything that happened in season four. Yeah, and then I was uh, violently told about it, uh, <laughs> but I decided that I'm gonna. I made the choice to be kind to those people because when they're mad, they're mad about something about them. It's not about me. Yeah, and their reality and their hurt is not my reality. And yeah. I have to put myself in their shoes to yeah. um, try to understand that their pain, even if their pain, I don't understand that doesn't mean it's not valid. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it is. Um, we just have to extend each other the kindness of understanding that our reactions come from a place of our lived experience and not necessarily from a place of trying to get one over on each other. Yeah. Um, and finally, what do you feel called for? Um, I don't know. I feel I feel called to um, keep keep working on my keep working on my body. Um, I, I, a thing that has happened to me since I came out is I used to be uh, I used to be almost a hundred pounds heavier than I am right now, and I tr- wow. like weight loss is is a big trigger for people, so I try not to talk about this too much. Mm-hmm. But like. My f- biological father, whom I never met, he died before I met him, he was extremely fit. And the second I came out to myself, I was like, I want to start exercising and I want to start eating better. It doesn't mean that I like, like I, I, and I realized it was not coming from a place of wanting to be conventionally attractive in a, in a societal sense, because as a trans woman, I'm never going to get there. But mm-hmm. It came from a place of I wanted to be better connected to him. And my body, which is genetically 50% his DNA, like that was a way I could be connected to him, was to do the things he loved, which was, you know, going on hikes and being outdoors and, and you know, doing hard physical things that at the end of it, you feel kind of rewarded. And like, I, I've gotten away from that a little bit in the last few months because I've been so busy and I think... Um, I, I think that I, I need to remind myself that having a body means taking care of that body. Uh, and that can mean any number of things for every person. It do, does not mean the same yeah. thing, but for me, that means making it an active one and, 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 you know, eating plants and things like that. <laughs> uh, for me, you, you, you made me, uh, call for taking care of my body too but in a I have severe anxiety and um, depression yeah. and um, 
I heard that you had to a depression and you know that sometimes it goes, you go in your head and you forget that you are a body and you just go in your anxiety and your mind. Yeah. And um, I have the blessing that I have a partner that snapped me out of it. But I trying to do that by myself of reminding me like, okay, you're spiraling, come back, come back to reality and like feel your body, feel yourself and know your body and not being in your mind too much. Yeah. That is something that I want to try more. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is a worthy goal for me too, for all of us. Yeah. And the last uh, section of the show is to give a flower in a vase. It's an expression my grandma used to say. Don't give a flower in the vase, which means don't give a back-ended compliment, such as, you're funny for a girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so basically, the the flower is a compliment. The uh -huh. vase is uh, a thumbs down. So we give okay. a flower to a character that, that we think deserve it and a vase that to someone that deserves a vase in the face. Uh, do you have anyone that you'd like to give? You better do this first, because I'm not sure I entirely understand it. So I okay. want to. I'm going to give my, okay. give my, uh, my flowers to Julia okay. for going to save Katie and not judging her for it. Okay. She's just like there for her. She's going to take care of her and then go like continue. And it's not like, oh, uh, adding this sermon of like, you shouldn't have done drugs and drug is bad. And yeah. stuff. like, like, I think that it's the, a true test of their friendship to show how much she, she was there for Katie when needed, but there was no judgment. Uh -huh. So you go, Julia. And I'm going to give a vase to Hyman for looking at women. In the in, in, in the bathroom, just cause he can. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a flower to uh, Arjun Gupta, who I think is a fantastic actor, and has rarely had a showcase as good as this one. And he nailed every single scene, and just like brought the character of Penny to a new level of intensity. Um, and I think I'm gonna give a vase to the show for not always knowing what to do with him. I think they got better about it after this point, but boy, those first two seasons, he sometimes got lost in the shuffle. That's a, that's a little finger oh, wave yeah. to the show. So. Oh yeah. I, I, I love it that you put it to the show. We never did that. I really like that now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me to this, uh, this episode. It was uh, so enlightening. I really, really enjoyed talking about it with you. Oh yeah. It was so great to be here. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug to talk about? Oh, my goodness. Your, my goodness. You, you are so, you're in for just such a long list of plugs. I'm so oh, sorry. Okay. Um, you, can find, you can find my writing on Vox.com. That's where I write regularly. Uh, my stuff publishes there. I write the two, three, four things a week. Um, I write about television primarily. I also write about film and I write about trans stuff and I write about all sorts of things. I'm the critic at large there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash TVOTI. That's the best way to keep up with all the weird things I do. Um, I am the co-creator of the fiction podcast Arden. It is a true crime, fake true crime series, also a comedy. Uh, the first season is out in its entirety now. By the time that we're... Uh, this is running the second season will be actually the second season will be about half done um Ooh. and it is uh, the first season is about uh, a journalist and a detective and 
they are both women and they are trying to find a uh, Hollywood starlet and they keep arguing with each other, which in classic tropes we know means they're falling in love. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's what our first season is. Our second season is about uh, a family tragedy in Montana that they investigate to figure out if a murder occurred. Um, I don't want to say anything more than that, but I, I, I'm really proud of the show. I think people will enjoy it. Um, and I also, uh, I host the podcasts primetime and I think you're interesting for Vox. I think you're interesting is under my old name. Some of primetime is as well. Um, but they're both about, uh, arts and entertainment. Primetime is about the history of television. Uh, I'm very proud of them. I hope people will listen to them. And I published the book monsters of the week, yeah. the complete critical companion to the X-Files. The hardcover is under my old name, but the paperback is under my name, Emily Vanderwerf. So you can go and find find the paperback. <laughs> yes, find the paperback. Um, <laughs> and uh, if 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 I ever see you and you have the paperback with you somehow, I will sign it because um, I mean I'll sign the hardback too. I don't I I, I don't care. I, I have at a certain point I had to accept that I spent a, a decade of my career publishing under a male name and like so much stuff I wrote yeah. is under that name, but. If you buy the paperback, you'd make me so happy. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Honestly, I, I, I wish I could spend the whole day talking about it with you because it's so interesting. <laughs> this has been Silorian United. Once again, I want to thank Emily for joining me and having this interesting discussion. I wish we could have three hours and talk even more. Um, I want to thank Harry Potter and the Secret Test as well as Spirit Podcast for helping starting the show and also everyone listening and giving me kudos and interacting on social media. It's always a blast to have you. If you want to reach to me and talk about your flowering vase or even tell us what the Lecture Divina gave to you, always can reach me on Twitter at Philorians with an S. And for the behind the scene fact, Arjun Gupta has said to be a bit unhappy for Penny to die in a suit, which means he will have to be in a suit all the time, because he finds Penny clothes really com- comfortable. But funny enough, he-, he thinks that Penny dying in a suit is another kind of punishment for him, which I kind of like this point of view. <laughs> <laughs>